everybody, and welcome to the Sulp Niar Pool. I'm Diana. I'm Andrew. And we are a podcast for the in-depth and semi-serious discussion of the young adult sci-fi book series, Animorphs. In case this is your first time reading The Animorphs, we divide our show into a spoiler-free and spoiler-intensive section. What are we discussing today, Andrew? We're discussing book number eight, The Alien. Incredible. <laughs> um, so The Alien came out in June 1997. Do you, uh, do you know what the number one hit song was in 1997? Uh, no. The number one song was I'll Be Missing You. It features Faith Evans, and the primary artist is Puff Daddy, oh. or the artist formerly known as Puff Daddy, Okay, who now goes by Diddy. He actually, I think, has had a few different names. I was, I was reading up <laughs> before this. Well, thank you for being prepared. He apparently went to Howard. I was just huh. on his Wikipedia page earlier. <laughs> um, anyway, so that was the number one song. At least it wasn't the Macarena. <laughs> yeah, that would have been awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but Not you know again. good things must come to an end okay do you want to just jump right in yeah let's jump right in this is the first x book come on yeah i'm hyped also there's a prologue i kind of like that oh yeah i forgot that there's a prologue that's true that's true uh what do you like about it well it is nice to hear axe's perspective on what actually happened when he crashed into the ocean yeah right because i guess before this we had the youth's perspective from yeah. when they found him but we didn't yeah. actually see the scene of him oh my gosh and he like has that conversation with Elfengor and then they say goodbye and he's mad at him but then he's like I don't want him to leave thinking that I'm mad at him oh my gosh yeah it's a really good prologue <sighs> that's the kind of thing that really gets me <laughs> the like familial relationships mm -hmm. you know anyway so that was good I was also thinking that the scene like kind of the scene depicted in the prologue, which is where they're all running around on the Andalite ship. And then Axe and Elfengor are kind of having this conversation where like Axe wants to fight, but then he can't. Then Elfengor's like, I got to go fight uh, the Yerks. That whole sequence seemed very translatable to mm -hmm. like a TV show or yeah. movie. Maybe just because it's like action. And I know how the media loves that, but I was kind of seeing that in my mind. You can hear those like sirens. In yeah, the, yeah, exactly. The like we're on a spaceship, but there's danger sirens going on. Yeah, ex yeah. So like and maybe flashing red lights. Elvengor and Axe are having a conversation, and Axe like Axe is like, "But I want to fight. I want to go." Da -da -da. And Elvengor's like, "But you can't." Da -da -da. But then it's like cut off because like there's a, a siren that cuts in in the middle, mm -hmm. and then Elvengor like looks away, and he's like, "I have to go." But promise me, you'll be. Right here when I come back. Or what I'm, you know, I'm just spitballing here. Okay. All right. Well, don't <laughs> quit your day job just yet. <laughs> My day job recording Animorphs podcasts. So that brings up uh, something I'm wondering about. How would you, Diana, translate thought speak to screen? Do you have like uh -huh. subtitles or maybe the voice actor voices it in like a different voice or maybe their same voice? No, I think it's just their same voice, but it had... Okay, do you remember, like, shows and movies from maybe, like, 15 to 25 years ago where maybe a character is having a flashback to somebody who said something, and so you have, like, a little floating head of that person sort of just on the screen in the shot, but it's clearly yeah. just their memory of that person. Wow. And then... That's what you want to do? No, no. Okay. I'm not... I'm just... Just bear with me. So... 
Anyway, so it would be like a shot of that person saying something. My heart will go on. Saying my heart will go on. And, but their face is kind of transparent and their voice is kind of echoey. Okay. So anyway, forget the visual part, but that audio is what I would want. I would want to have a shot of that person so you can see that their lips are not moving. Mm -hmm. And then their regular character's voice, but it's kind of like just that's super echoey. Like it's almost like they're speaking quietly, but you hear it really loudly. No, I know know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. The scene that comes to mind is in Home Alone where Kevin Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. hears the voices of his family. Kevin, you're completely helpless. No, Kevin, you're what the French call les incompetents. Kevin, I'm going to feed you to my tarantula. Kevin, you are such a disease. So that's that kind of voice quality is what you think. You I think want. so. Why did you did you have a different idea? No, I was just wondering. Yeah, I think so. Um. Okay. Oh, I also wanted to say that while we're on the topic of thought speak and the prologue, acts is like, oh, I guess I must have been thought speaking too loudly. So I guess maybe by default you're in public thought speak and you can modulate the distance that goes, yeah, possibly the volume that. that is. And you um, have to like consciously private thought speak to people. It seems like that sort of trope of someone saying something they're not supposed to and getting overheard would yeah. not happen very frequently in a society that uses telepathy. Yeah, but if you grew up being used to thought speak, you might think of it as analogously second nature to how we think of speaking versus whispering. Mm-hmm. Um, like the Animorphs think of thought speak like sending an email where you can send an open email to lots of people or you can just send it to one person that's very specific. And to them, email is like something that is familiar to them that they can kind of use as an anchor for how thought mm-hmm. speak works. But if you're an Andalite, maybe the way that you think about thought speak is different and is more on a spectrum of like quiet to loud. Okay. And it's so second, like you almost take it for granted the way that, like who you're sending it to. So maybe it's less deliberate than when the Animorphs who like is totally new to them. So they're like, okay, I'm going to thought speak to just Andrew, just Andrew. I'm only thought speaking to Andrew, but maybe Axe doesn't think of it that way. He just kind of thought speaks. Because it's so easy. I don't know. I was thinking that was weird, though. Yeah. I mean, you got to get that trope in there somehow. I know. (laughs) Worth it. (laughs) Worth it. All right. Yeah, I guess moving on from the prologue. Oh, the chapters in these books have epigraphs, which is very sweet. Yeah, is that the word for what that is? Yeah, yeah. Little quote slash... Not necessarily a quote at the beginning of every chapter. Yeah. Yeah. It's a quote, but it's a quote from X, which is so fun. I love X. Yeah. I mean, I would quote myself too if I had such a maybe you well-written should. diary. Yeah. Maybe you should keep a diary. Mm, okay. <laughs> um. So we kind of, we open on X and the gang. And they uh, are kind of discussing this mission, but then it turns out that the mission that's so important is they want they want him to, it's so wholesome, they want him to have the experience of going to a movie theater and watching a movie, which is kind of ironic because as we're recording this right now, uh, like movie theaters have been closed for 
possibly a year. I don't know. So, lol. And then we also, I mean, this is also this when is they do so uh, 2019. Yeah, remember movies? Well, and now we have like Netflix and stuff, which they didn't have in 1997. This is also when they do all the exposition stuff. Like, that's Jake. He's a human. He can't tell you his last name. <laughs> he has the usual number of arms and legs. Oh yeah, that was good. Um, okay, so they go to see Star Trek. Axe notices some similarities and discrepancies between aliens in the fictional universe of Star Trek and aliens in real life. Yeah, yeah. Axe also goes crazy over chocolate. Oh my god. I mean, chocolate chocolate is pretty great. It's so awesome. I guess if you had to pick like one food, not, not like one food to be the best, but one food to be the most like terrifyingly overpowering like addictive yeah yeah would it be chocolate oh definitely be sugar i think so yeah i think anything with sugar in it and x does really like things with sugar in it maybe like kettle corn or something well he does like well that's that's what i was thinking it's like has salt grease and sugar yeah oh like chocolate popcorn oh my gosh he should try putting his don't uh, tell him that what are they like there's no coming back from that he should put some of those in the popcorn He'll just never leave the movie theater. Along with some cigarette butts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just for the crunch. Um, so that happens. Oh, um, well, I was just wondering, have we talked about this already? Like the uh, analogy between like the way that they describe being a Nothlet, which is like Tobias is a human, but he's in a hawk's body and being like trans. Um, we haven't talked about that specifically, but we did do like a minor queer reading of Tobias in book three. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't remember what we talked about, but as possible is just a generically queer reading rather than I'm just, an explicitly. I'm just so curious because in this day and age, it's really hard to read that description and not, because I think he says something like, oh, Trap. he's a human, but he's in the body of a hawk. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh. That's like exactly how people describe being transgender. Mm-hmm. I mean, back in 1997, you just had to say Nothlet. Yeah. Well, it's just, I'm just curious, like, does Kay Applegate like have a close friend who's trans or like, you know? Well, I think it's just, I mean, that's very possible. Because it's it, not it's like also she's just saying a, a he just likes idea. to dress in Hawk's clothing. Right. Yeah. It just seemed very, but uh, yeah, it could just be that it's a compelling idea. It. And the fact that there are people that interesting have that thought experiment, actual experience. <laughs> might not have Wouldn't that be totally wild if there are people out there like that? Is that what you're saying? I'm just. I, I guess what I'm saying is, in nineteen in June 1997, I had just turned two, and so my memory of kind of current events around queer identities, it's just it kind of all blurs together <laughs> with like Teletubbies. <laughs> So, so I just don't know. No, no, no. Let's. This is not a Teletubby podcast. Yeah, let's. Or a Home Alone podcast. Um, yeah. So I was just curious. I don't. I don't know what the kind of political climate was like in 1997. Yeah. So after the movie, Axe only gets through like half of the movie because he goes wild for chocolate. The animorphs see someone whose yerk is dying inside of him. And they witness him, I guess, ranting and raving. And then he is 
uh, subtly killed by a policeman. They split up, and then we cut back to Axe later doing his ritual. This is the first of many scenes in this book where Axe does his ritual. I think this book is like written really well in the, in this way. And one of the things that I like about it is there's this like recurring scene of Axe doing his ritual and talking to Tobias about what's going on, and you see him like change over the course of the book in terms of like what he's thinking about as he's doing the ritual, which is just yeah. I always like that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, one thing <laughs> I really like like this this whole ongoing thing is how in this book it becomes apparent that all the animorphs are kind of talking amongst themselves and being like. How does Axe eat? We never see him eat. How does he eat? What is it? But they never ask him. And so that's another kind of recurring kind of plot point is that different members of the Animorphs like kind of bring up <laughs> that they don't know how he eats. <laughs> and this is the first time. And Tobias uh, like brings up that nobody knows how he eats. And Axe just like, well, I have hooves, don't I? Like, yeah. What kind of stupid question is that? That that was a stupid question. <laughs> and I just I don't know why I think that's so funny, but I love that. It's I, I remembered it from the first time I read this book. It's awesome. It's one of my faves. Mm-hmm. It's right up there with "Don't Call Me Prince." Right? Yeah, "Don't Call Me Prince." Uh, Xena Warrior Princess. Mm-hmm. So Axe then gets ready for the next mission, which is going to school. And impersonating Jake's fake cousin, Philip. Yeah, why are they doing all these just kind of for fun? Yeah, well, I think it's they're recovering from the events of Megamorphs number one. So it's kind of to cut loose and initiate acts to human culture. Mm-hmm. So he morphs human. He's feeling pretty good. How hard could it be, honestly? And the answer is pretty hard. Just more, more acts things that I liked. He morphs a human, which is, yeah, this is like his kind of classic mix of everybody morph. One of the things that I I thought was really funny about this was Jake is telling X, um, we're just doing this one time. This is the only time we're going to do this. And he holds up one finger and then X just looks at him and says, yes, that is one. (laughs) Like, look at me. I know how human numbers work. (laughs) You're holding up one finger. (laughs) And then he... He uh, is like practicing walking and then he, uh, because he's not used to having only two legs and then he like bends a certain way, eats it, and then just looks back at Tobias and is like, unfortunately, bending that way made me fall over. And I just love that. I I, I love Axe exploring human things. It's, it's yeah. probably my favorite part of the Animorphs. Speaking of exploring human things... Uh... There's a great description of school from the perspective of Axe, the non-human, which was really relatable. Wait, so what is his description of school? The school was very active. There were large numbers of humans racing about at high speed. Others moved very slowly and seemed sad or ill. (laughs) (laughs) Many carried books. Most made mouth sounds. And like, yeah, that's kind of the way I feel about school, too. That is accurate. Most made mouth sounds. Are you an ambulance? Um So as usual, they're dressed in a shocking variety of clothing. Clothing is not a uniquely human idea, but of course, Andalites do not indulge in it. Of course. And there's also his reaction to the school bell, 
which is to be terrified and uh, almost lose his mind, which I think is also a very relatable <laughs> reaction. So at school, they're in class and Mr. Pardue also breaks down because his yerk is dying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Axe is narrating, right? And so he, and he, as the narrator of the book, is like, oh, yeah, I, I knew this was going to happen, but like I couldn't tell humans about it, blah, blah, blah. He and Jake leave and they kind of see that a similar scene is going to take place where that teacher is just going to get tased or killed or whatever so that he can't let everyone know what is happening. This kind of turns into a conversation between Jake and Axe where like Jake kind of catches wind that Axe maybe was thinking that something like this would happen. And then, and then he's like, we're showing you all this human stuff. Are you just using humans as pawns? Like, you're not going to tell us anything that you know about Andalite stuff, um, even though it would help us fight the Yerk, blah, blah, blah. And this is kind of, this is like what the book is about, like after several chapters. So here we are. Um, so this is coming off of book number seven, The Stranger, where they destroyed some Candrona. Mm-hmm. And so now we're in book number eight and they're like, huh, I kind of thought that more Yerks would be freaking out because we stopped their Candrona. Um, so after that, I guess, showdown between Jake and Axe, Marco is tasked with getting information out of Axe. So he decides to bring him to a bookstore to buy some books. And on the way, they stop at Marco's house. And there's sort of a who's on first scene between Axe and Marco's dad. I guess it's a it's a take on a well-defined genre of comedy. Not like a genre, I guess. Maybe genre is too big, but a well-defined bit. In this case... Axe can only use yes or no answers. Because that's what Marco told. Marco yep. was like, you cannot talk to my dad. You can only say yes or no. Do not say anything else. Only yes or no. So then Marco's dad walks away thinking that Axe is named no and uh, has this whole hilarious conversation with Axe. Yeah. And the best part is that this whole, like this chapter, they were kind of building up to like, oh, Marco and Axe are going to have this heart to heart. But no, kind of just the whole point of this chapter was to have... Just kind of a fun, a fun exchange <laughs> between Axe and Marco's dad. Yeah, it's really good. Axe also corrects the errors in Marco's dad's software. They found out that this advanced human software technology by like hundreds of years. So, yeah, oops. Anyway, so Axe doesn't realize right away that he did that. So we sort of cut to him back at his little home place the animorphs come find him and they're like uh that was (laughs) that was not great now everybody thinks that like now everybody knows something's up like we're gonna blow our cover marco's dad thinks no is a genius (laughs) right and and so from this axe is kind of and so from this the wheels in axe's head are kind of turning and so he's thinking okay i I messed up. Maybe I can go fix it, but also I'm going to contact my family and tell them what happened. Because also, like, his family doesn't even know about Elfengor. Mm-hmm. So with that on his mind, he goes for a run and he ends up at Cassie's barn, sort of as he's spacing out and monologuing to himself. There she invites him to morph Jake and then come inside and eat dinner. Yeah, while they're talking, he kind of brings up this thing that I wanted to ask you about, which is 
so he's saying to Cassie, like, humans are incredible. You invented, uh, what was it? I think it was like invented nuclear fission and then very soon after that had the atomic bomb and then very right. soon after that went to the moon. Right. So, so he's saying like, oh, it was so fast. And I, I was just curious, like, do you, do you think that well, humans are uniquely fast? Um, we don't really have anything to compare it to. I guess maybe we'll run into another alien some species someday and then we can ask them. No, but... no. I was just thinking that like, of course I'm a human, obviously. So maybe I'm biased, but I was just thinking that it's, it makes sense to me that there would be kind of an exponential rate of scientific advancement. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard to measure these sort of things, you know? Yeah. Like that's kind of his, in this book anyway, that's kind of Axe's main reason why the humans are a special species. Mm-hmm. And that's not what I would have guessed. Yeah. I mean, in book seven, it seemed like Earthless is special because of its biodiversity. Exactly. Which is almost the opposite of our technological. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's about Earth as a planet. I mean, I, you know, I, I can understand that there would be kind of a different. I, I just think that um, the Animorphs as a whole has kind of this like human centered mm-hmm. nationalism. Yeah, I think we've talked about this. This yeah. like Earth. Like Earthocentrism. Uh, Earth supremacism <laughs> and or human exceptionalism. There we go. Oh, nice human That's exceptionalism. Cool. That's a good term. Uh, okay, so Axe eats a lot of chili in a, another one of these highly comedic scenes where he's experiencing Earth culture from an alien's perspective. Yeah, and this is another scene that would be good in a TV show. Similar to the kind of slapstick yes and no uh, conversation with Marco's mm-hmm. dad. Like, I'm thinking, like, fast cuts. Maybe it's animated. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's just that kind of, yeah. It would be really interesting to see how a human actor plays an alien who is more human. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, well, that's one of the reasons that I kind of like it being animated is because I would keep Axe's voice. Mm-hmm. But... In a human body. Yeah, I see. Which I know you could do with special effects in a live action one. It's just always a little bit choppy. Well, whoever plays Axe's human morph could also voice Axe's character. Right, because his human morph is always the same. Yeah, that makes sense. That's true. But how would you get a human morph that looks like a perfect combination of all five animorphs? Just put out a broadcasting call, I think. I mean, honestly, there's probably enough kid actors out there. Yeah. So after that, and after a lot of chili, and the fascinating discussion of the cream separator. Uh, oh my gosh, yeah, his his rendition of small talk. He's like, I know how to play. Th-. So Cassie's parents are asking him questions, and he's like, I know how this works. This is a thing that humans do, and it's called making conversation. And what happens is they ask you a question and then you ask them a question and you take turns and it's a fun game. (laughs) And then, so that just leads into him. (laughs) He's like, did you know that the cream separator was invented in 1878? And they're like, this is not how conversations normally go. Anyway, I, I, I just eat that, that right up. You know, that's so good. Just like the chili. Just like the chili. So after after that, Axe sort of walks out and he is feeling pretty lonely too. I wanted to talk about this. It seems like Axe, in addition to having difficulties understanding human culture, it seems like 
he's written as having difficulties like experiencing and processing emotion, you know, like the way that the scene is written after he exits Cassie's house he, and he's feeling lonely is him like saying, huh, this strange feeling. Mm-hmm. Why does it feel cold when it's not? But I was thinking that wouldn't you expect a, I don't know, a normal person from a society that's somewhat similar to humans to have experience with that? It was just, it was just an, an interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I see your point. I mean, I guess there's a few options, right? Like one option is that maybe analytes don't experience like the same range of emotions that humans do. I could definitely mm-hmm. imagine that because they're kind of like cold calculating organisms, characters. So so that's one possibility. Another possibility is that like maybe Andalites uh, process emotions exactly the same way as humans do and acts it's just not neurotypical. Yeah, that, that is an interesting interpretation. Another interpretation, which I think is kind of my favorite, but it's, it's because it kind of ties into my whole thing about how different experiences translate, is that maybe Andalites do experience emotion, but like the way that, at least for humans, so this is drawing from a class I took in college called emotions. The way that humans experience emotions is a combination of your brain's understanding of the situation that you're in and also your your physiological state Mm -hmm. like if you have a if your heart is beating really quickly and um you have a lot of kind of epinephrine and and stuff and uh your your temperature is up and you're sweating that will that will cause you to appraise the situation that you're in as more um like more salient it could be like more exciting or it could be more scary or whatever it is but like that will affect your Mm -hmm. kind of interpretation of the emotion that you're feeling and so i can imagine that sure maybe andalites have the same emotions that the same like range of emotions that humans do maybe it's all exactly the same but the way that you experience it is so different when you're in a human body because human bodies have features that relate to their emotional state Mm -hmm. and that that relationship might be different than it is for andalites right kind of like the taste thing pretty much exactly like the taste thing yeah yeah so i like that just because it's the most interesting in terms of like differences in physiology that that is really interesting i thought about that well i guess when you only have one heart it's like yeah it's like a thing is gonna set you off all of a sudden this heart has like complete control over my body like why do we only have one of those what about the backups exactly (laughs) (laughs) so so after axe has uh emotional scene he swears tobias to secrecy and enlists him in his plan yeah although i did love this is just the kind of thing that really gets me like Axe is being all angsty and he's like, no, no, no. I don't even remember what he's saying, but he's just like kind of having his little inner monologue. And then he goes to Tobias and he like, I just kind of imagine him sort of poking his head up to where Tobias is sleeping. And he like swiveling a stock eye. Yeah. In. He's like swiveling a stock eye and he sees Tobias and he kind of like, I almost imagine it being one of those like accidental on purpose wakes Tobias up kind of like he's sort of walking. He's like, Oh, I just snapped a twig. Oh, you're awake. Anyway, and then Tobias is like, what? 
what, what, what's up? And X is like, Tobias, are you my friend? <laughs> and Tobias is like, you seriously woke me up to ask me that? But like, yes, of course I'm your friend. And he answers so quickly. And X is just like, oh, he answered so fast. He didn't even have to think about it. And that's, that's, uh, that'll get the tears flowing <laughs> for me. <laughs> that was a big one. <laughs> no, that, that is a good one. Um, so then they go on this mission to hack into the computers where Axe plans to make contact with his homeworld and also hopefully, I guess, destroy this new technology he's handed over to humans. Oh, also we get some good discussion of what thermals are. While they're oh, flying. nice. Well, we can't have an animal spoke yeah. about it. So that was thermals. He flies into the observatory, which houses the telescope for which Marco's dad was doing the programming. He hacks into the computer and somehow opens a communication link with the Andalite homeworld. Yeah. And then, uh, so he like reaches this guy who seems to be like kind of the gatekeeper of Andalite communications stuff. Mm -hmm. And so he tells that guy, right, about basically everything that happened. He tells him that like Elfengor died because obviously of course, any Andalite that sees Axe is like, oh my gosh, it's Elfengor's brother. What happened to Elfengor? <laughs> and so Axe has to be like, oh, he actually died. And, he, and we see him sort of reveal that he accidentally, but like it wasn't actually an accident, like gave this technology to the humans. Mm -hmm. And so now they're all mad at him for breaking the law of Zero's kindness. But then it's like, Elfengor did that too. And they're like, ooh. Did I, he though? I don't want to hear that. Did he I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. Yeah, it was really interesting to see sort of the Andalite military at work. Because so far, all we've seen from Andalites are Elfangor and Axe. Mm -hmm. Elfangor was kind of like a mystical mentor mm -hmm. who died too soon, as they want to do. As they do, yeah. And Axe is a very relatable slash not relatable uh, <laughs> teen. So this is an interesting deviation from that. And you have the Andalite military doing some pretty shady stuff where they just blame everything on Axe and force him to admit that he is the one who gave the Animorphs the morphing technology. Yeah, and I guess... to keep Elfanger's name clear. Right. And this is... Not only is this the first time that we're seeing Andalites that are not Axe and Elfengor, really. Um, I guess we saw them in flashbacks and stuff. Um, but it's also the first time that we see the Andalites being something other than the good guys in the fight against the Yerks. So this is kind of when we as readers might be thinking for the first time, like, wait a second, is, is this seriously like, is this the side I want to be on? Like, this is kind of weird that they're doing this. Yeah, and it's kind of weird. Like, if they were really the good guys, they would be more supportive of this poor kid you know yeah so oh also andalite names are super long i was thinking this is probably because they never have to pronounce words Ooh. so they're just they just rattle it off Aximile escroth is still no big deal yeah you just think it so yeah yeah and i have been wondering about that because when i think words to myself i don't 
think through saying them. For me personally, it's more like I am like 70% visualizing that word written Mm -hmm. and maybe 30% hearing it being said, but not really in a way that like I'm actually thinking about how to say it, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Um, But most of it for me is like seeing it. Like when I meet somebody, it's helpful for me to know how their name is spelled so I can like remember how it looks. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering if thought speak is closer to that, like seeing it almost like you were saying before, like having captions. Yeah. I mean, thought speak is really interesting. Um, Yeah. I feel like we talk about this every time (laughs) because there's so much to talk about. We keep learning more and more about it. Right. That's that's true. That's true. Uh, Learning more and more conflicting information sometimes. (laughs) Well, that's just the beauty of thought speak. Yeah. (laughs) Um, okay, so after Axe's interaction with the the Andalite High Command, he briefly talks to his father, but then is cut off by Eslin, a human controller. Dun dun dun! Basically, I at this point in the chapter, I'm thinking to myself, "Oh my gosh!" So just everything that could possibly be terrible that could happen is happening to Axe. Like this sucks. But then. And in keeping with this sort of theme of like maybe changing roles uh, of the Yerkes Andalites, you kind of hear Eslin give sort of his little story, uh, which is that, well, so Eslin kind of gives us a lot of information actually about what's been going on. So basically the Yerkes did have a plan for like rationing out the, the Candrona. They basically like picked the low rank Yerkes to just like, let die. Um, but Eslin's sort of wife maybe yeah. was one of those people. And so he gets super mad. Um, so he has been making kind of a ruckus with the Yerks, trying to just be a thorn in their side because of what they did to his love interest. And so, or at least his sort of partner, I don't know what the, right. Um, not to queer things up again, but, it was pretty reminiscent of like, oh, my friend who lives with me. We're very close. <laughs> we make baskets together. Yeah. And we foster cats. <laughs> no, we're roommates. My my partner. We share a one bedroom. It raises some really interesting questions about Yerk love life, well, sexuality. And, and gender, right? And I don't know gender, if they actually that's have. That's true, too. They I mean, not sex even the same. too, right? Yeah, they might gender. not have the same kind of sex and gender stuff that we do. Let's hope not. Anyway, to all the kids listening out there, ask your parents about that. So we're getting all this information from Eslin, which is filling in some of the gaps because it kind of explains why we weren't seeing any Yerk deaths prior mm-hmm. to the start of this book because it has been a little bit. Um, and then most importantly, perhaps... Eslin also gives Axe some of the lowdown on Visser 3 because he, I guess, knows, he knows enough about Andalite customs, I suppose, to know that Axe is, like, bound by honor to get vengeance by killing Visser 3 because Visser 3 just killed Elfengor. And so he's like, I know you want to do this. I also want him to die. So let's make it happen. So he tells Axe where Visser 3 kind of hangs out, which is this, like, spot where he uh, has his 
Midnight Snack. So Axe gets that information, and then there's a meeting in the barn where the Animorphs confront Axe because they've seen Tobias had a like bloody part of Eslin's shirt on his claws. Axe, you know, swore Tobias to secrecy, so he's not divulging any information. And then mostly Rachel and Marco are like, hey, you can't hold secrets from us. And it culminates in Jake saying to Axe that Axe can't be part of the Animorphs if he's going to keep lying to them. Axe accepts this and is preparing to die, I guess, when he goes to kill Visser 3. Yeah, yeah. So, first of all, I was pretty impressed that, like, Cassie seemed to kind of have have the vibes of what's going on. Cassie seemed to have a sense of what's going on because um, she sort of is a little bit quieter during this discussion, but she's kind of like, maybe you're not allowed to tell us. Like, maybe you can't tell us things. Is that right? Or, like, something like that. And Axe basically is, like, not even down to give her anything on that. But she's... You know, she's Cassie. She gets it. Um, And then, yeah, it's, like, pretty emotional because Axe is basically, like, I mean, it's just always emotional, this this kind of situation where you as the reader know that he is just – he's just trying to do the right thing and he is, like, pretty sure he's going to die. But he doesn't even – he can't even tell them that. And so he's just, like, taking it. Like, he's just Mm -hmm. taking all this um, from – Rachel and Marco mostly, but kind of everyone. Um, and to have Jake, his prince, be like, you got to, like, basically you're kicked out of the Animorphs, I guess. And then he just has to, like, be fine with that. It's just, it's it's a low point. It's a low point emotionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the next morning, Axe is doing his morning ritual again. And his monologue for this is a lot different as he's reflecting on almost the like pointlessness of the very strong Andalite traditions. He's thinking about how his people that he's pledging his life to are billions of miles away, billions of light years, possibly. And as he's doing this, Tobias is observing him, and then he makes Tobias promise not to follow him or to tell any of the other Animorphs that he's going to go off to assassinate Visser 3. Yeah. So in a previous scene, he had acquired a snake, and so now he is morphing the snake. And he had this like sort of description of that as um, drowning his fear in the calm lake of the snake's predator brain. Um, Which I thought, first of all, very artistically written. But second of all, it's just like very poignant, I guess. Like he is super scared and he's like, I just want to not think about how afraid I am and just Mm like, uh, let the snake instincts kind of take over and mm-hmm. the snake is not afraid. And he like is, is like using the word drowning to describe what he's doing. I thought was very kind of telling. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. So he's lying in wait for Visser three and then Visser three eventually goes to the stream to feed and then ax bites him several times. And then we have this, huge action scene that breaks out. Axe slithers away and then tries to demorph. And right as he's about to be killed by Hork-Bajir mid-morph, Rachel uh, in Grizzly Bear morph saves him. 
and they fight off the Yerks, and Visser 3's Yerk gets away, like, down the stream. So now Axe is left just talking to Visser 3's host. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. So many emotional things in this book. This is another one. Um, so basically, Aloran is the Andalite host of Visser 3, and he has been a host for a super long time. And he is now, without a Yerk, he is basically dying. And he's like, please kill me. Like, just kill me. And Axe is like, you're already going to die. Like, you know, it's already happening. And Aloran's like, no, they're seriously just going to, like, keep me alive. Like, the Yerks are going to find a way to keep me alive. They are not going to let me die. And they're just going to make me be a host again to that Yerk. And, like, I, I seriously need you to kill me. It's been so long. Like, I, I do not want to be alive. Like, I need this. And Axe... Cannot... Axe is like, but you're an Andalite. <laughs> and and he clearly has this kind of like black and white, like mm-hmm. you do not kill Andalites, period. Um, yeah. Which is just really hard because obviously this is not like what he learned in cadet school. Right. Um, and so he, he doesn't. And Aloran's like, and Aloran forgives him. <laughs> yeah. Aloran... <sighs> He gets it. He gets way too many things, you know, so. What do you mean? One can imagine that as Visser 3's host, Aloran has seen basically everything that is bad, like anything that's horrible, Aloran has seen it. So I guess it makes sense to me why Aloran would be understanding of Axe in this juncture. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so then he, so then he asks, he says, okay, so if you're not going to kill me, can you please just give a message to my family and tell them that I still have hope? Yeah, that's basically it. (sighs) Yeah. So after that very, very charged scene, they are all debriefing in the barn I think a couple days later, and then we have the big reveal about what Ciro's kindness is, which is that the Andalites gave the Yerks technology, and then the Yerks subsequently went on to try and conquer all life in their path. And then they bond over freedom, I guess, which apparently both humans and Andalites are fans of. Yeah, again, it's like... This was very human exceptionalist. Yeah, it's like, look at this. We're so special because we, or we have so much in common because we both like freedom, which also is a very American concept, which we've talked about before, the Mm -hmm. like individual freedom being of value. And a lot of the concepts of the sort of central war in this book or in this uh, series are kind of about individual freedom versus the bad guys, the Yerks who are fighting for like you giving up your, mm-hmm. like the Yerks represent and being a controller represents giving up your freedom in service of the sort of hive mind that is the Yerks. Right. right. And um, so it's, it's like very capitalist versus fascist sort of mentality, mm-hmm. which we've talked about before. We don't need to go into the weeds. Yeah. Um, I was also thinking that, this concept of Ciro's kindness, where Ciro, the titular 
Andalite, um, gave Yerks. He was like traveling around. He saw Yerks. He saw that they couldn't go to other planets and they just seemed so nice. And so he felt like they should be able to travel to other planets. So he gives them that ability. Um, and then of course they like become the worst. That reminded me just a lot of um, Prometheus. Oh, yeah. Huh. I like it. It's like exactly the same. Right, yeah. Except for with spaceships instead of fire. Yeah. So it's just a... Also Maui. And Moana, kind well, of. Well, Maui does a lot of things, but which which particular story are you thinking of? Oh, I mean, he's a he's a similar character. Um, he steals fire for humans, teaches them all sorts of things. Right. And then in return is, yeah, nobody ever thanks him. Well, right. I mean, yeah, I guess that's the Disney version. The Prometheus version is like, as you know, I'm sure, but the Prometheus version is that, um, you know, humans are so cold. So then he gives them fire and then they like literally kill each other and like they're the worst to each other like they start wars right. and stuff yeah, less which, disney friendly yeah which is the same as yerks enslaving other species mm-hmm. um which is also kind of weird because like plenty of species have kind of a commensal relationship mm-hmm. and we don't have a problem with it but we do have a problem with it when it's yerks Right. It's definitely not commensalism with, like, Yerks and humans. It possibly was commensalism... With the Geds. With the Geds, their original hosts. Yeah, so it's almost like the Yerks are kind of an invasive species. Like, we wouldn't have had a problem with them if it was just them and the Geds. Right, yeah. Yeah. But they sort of went viral. Right. Um, Okay, so then there's also a really... Interesting moment between Axe and Tobias as Axe is thinking about, I want Tobias to feel comfortable asking me the question, which must be on his mind, which is, is there a way out of the hawk body? But then Tobias doesn't ask him. It's interesting because we've had Tobias books. I think we've had a Tobias book. Mm -hmm. We have. And he doesn't really dwell on that. (laughs) You know, like... Axe is like, oh, Tobias must be wondering, like, how do I get out of this body? Like, is there a way for me to get out of this body? And when we had a Tobias book, it wasn't like Tobias was, you know, searching for ways to. Yeah, he was just coming to terms with the fact that he's a human in a hawk body. But he wasn't like, oh, my gosh, I really hope there's a way to get back to being human. You know, Mm -hmm. so it's just funny because, um, you know, what Axe is assuming that Tobias is thinking is not necessarily what Tobias is actually thinking. Right. Like, maybe Tobias... It's maybe it's not even what Axe thinks, which is that, oh, Tobias is wondering, but he's, like, scared of the answer. Mm-hmm. And sure, that, that definitely could be it. But it also could just be that, like, he hasn't really gotten to that that point. Right, yeah. He's just kind of worried about getting his next meal. Right. I mean, maybe he skipped all the way from through, like, bargaining and denial, and now he's just in acceptance or something. You get it. And then lastly, Axe messages back his homeworld and relays Aloran's message to his wife. Oh, yeah. And then also tells Lyrim, who's the an Andalite head honcho, that Axe is just going to help the humans. 
kind of coming full circle with that thought that we had earlier in the book that I had earlier in the book that was like, oh, maybe the Andalites aren't the good guys after all. It's kind of now the Animorphs are becoming rather than these sort of people that are fighting on the Andalite side. They're kind of this cool third party group of rebels that's sort of mm-hmm. fighting for their own definition of what is good. Ooh. So that's kind of fun. Yeah, that that I mean, the people love that. I mean, I love that. <laughs> well, that's it for the book's plot. Do you have anything you want to talk about in terms of the book overall before we do our close reading? <sighs> I have a couple things. I mean, I just really like this book. Yeah, it's a great book. But I'd be curious to hear your your comments. Okay. Well, so first thing, thought speak. I feel like this book has possibly some new information that we could use to apply to our theory of thought speak. But you know how Visser 3 is described as like having this really evil aura? Yes. I was thinking that it's actually thought speak, that he's like subconsciously thought speaking, like distilled evil thoughts to everyone who's sort of around him. I was led to that because when Axe talks to Lyrim, who's the Andalite head honcho, he says his power seemed to vibrate through the screen, which made me think that Lyrim is also doing something similar. Like he has this, uh, instead of evil thought speak, it's like yeah. sort of power, generically powerful thought speak. It's kind of like if thought speak is like sending emails, it's kind of like your email signature. Yeah, exactly. One is like, Nobody I will kill you and everyone you love. And yeah. like, and it's the kind of thing that like you never actually read it, but you know that it's there. You definitely do. And I think Elfanger is described as having this sort of aura, like a similar type of aura, although it's obviously a good aura. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's was what made me think that it was thought speak mediated. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Axe just doesn't have one yet because he's kind of too young to figure out the whole. Well, I was thinking that it's not thing. something they're doing consciously. Something they're, no, exactly. But, yes. No, but just in keeping with my metaphor, it's like you don't you don't start out with an email signature when you get your first Gmail account. You kind of wait until you're a college student, you're kind of looking for jobs, and you just put in some like boring one that you copied from your roommate. Yeah. And then like you sort of go on and it becomes more involved. You put like letters after your name or whatever. Then you're like in your 60s maybe and you're on the forums and your email signature is like a quote from a movie from 20 years ago then you're like in your 70s and it's just a gif wow (laughs) thank you for taking us through human evolution diana welcome oh also were your thoughts when you read this for the first time oh this book in particular your thoughts about andalites and what did you make of them going in and then going out Yeah, I'm trying to think back. Um, I remember when I, so I I read the entire Animorph series in order over the course of like a summer. So it was all pretty rapid fire. Um, And and I remember that for the first few books, I was like just kind of rolling through them. Like each one was sort of an episode of like an episode of a TV show. Where uh, each each time it's kind of like at the end, the plot kind of resets. Like, okay, you've got kind of your monster of the week. You've got 
uh, like each book, maybe you've got a different morph that they're trying out, mm-hmm. but it's kind of always the same, you know, you've got the good guys, the animorphs, and then like they add acts to their team and then they do something against the Yerks and then, um, there's kind of a little battle and then it ends and it's kind of a happy ending. And so it's very like a cookie cutter, sort of like a superhero comic mm-hmm. book series. But then at this point, reading this book, it's like, oh, <laughs> uh, like there's actually some more complex stuff happening mm-hmm. on the side of the Andalites um, and on the side of the Yerks, like with Eslin. This yeah. is the first book where we've seen a Yerk who's not just sort of following Visser 3. And it's also the first time that we've seen an Andalite who's not just sort of acting as an Andalite. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it becomes a lot more, I mean, I was reading this as an adult. I was like 20, 21. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, it's like more interesting to add that layer of like, oh, it's not just the good guys and the bad guys. Um, but I don't think I was totally sure, you know, like sometimes in these, in these, um, in like youth fiction you sort of start down this path of one theme and then it kind of never continues. So I wasn't at, at this point in the series, I'm kind mm-hmm. of like, that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I want more of that. I definitely yeah. want more of Axe. Yeah. More Axe. Axe books are amazing. Totally agree. <laughs> um, but yeah, but it's still early. So it's also kind of like, let's just see where this goes, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing. <laughs> um, did you have any thoughts about the book before we do our close reading? I sort of feel like I just shared my thoughts. Yeah, it's it's a great book. I love Axe. All right. I love the Axe Tobias relationship as well. That that's true, yeah. Would you like to pick a random number between one and one hundred fifty-nine inclusive? Nine. <sighs> wow, randomness is a bitch. <laughs> so as a reminder for our close reading, we pick a page in the book at random. Then we pick a non-random passage from that page to do close reading of. And then we'll discuss that first in the context of the series so far, and then in the context of the series as a whole. Nicely explained. Maybe the second paragraph? Would you like to do a dramatic reading? He had killed Elfengor, and I had inherited a terrible burden. By Andalite custom, I would be required to avenge my brother's death. Do you have any thoughts? Um, I think the main thing that I'm interested in is the way that he talks about the responsibility as something mm-hmm. that he inherited, and it's a terrible burden. Mm-hmm. And he's required to do it. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it's very clearly not the same as like, Mister Three killed my brother, and now I'm really mad, and now I yeah. really want to kill him. Not like my name is Aximili Escarathus. Still, you killed my brother. Prepare to die. Correct. It's not like that. Got it. Yeah, that is really inter- that is a good point. Yeah, I mean, that that's the main thing that I'm interested in, is that he's mm-hmm. just saying this is like, this is just the way that things mm-hmm. are going to be. 
it, it's it's kind of emotionless, except that he refers to it as a terrible burden, mm-hmm. which almost makes me feel like he doesn't want it. Yeah. I mean, it's not great. It's interesting that this, like, does this come up that often? That this is like a huge custom? Like, what does that say about Andalite society? Isn't his school like Arist training? Right. I guess um, I feel like most people who die, like in combat, are killed by like a faceless sort of laser beam or bullet, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, how often do you know which like subvisor was manning the the fighter that shot your brothers? You know what I'm saying? So it seems like in the modern Yurk Analyte War, this would not happen that much. But yet, there is a very clearly a protocolized custom for dealing with this. Is that custom like a relic from a previous era or? Yeah, yeah. Well, and maybe in the case of like you're fighting a war, you get killed by a missile from a ship. Mm -hmm. Maybe now your next of kin is required to take it on as like their duty to avenge you. But that doesn't mean if they don't know who killed you, it could just mean dedicating their life to mm-hmm. fight to righting the wrong that was your death by like fighting back against that group of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. What are your thoughts? I, I guess my pet theory was that it was like a holdover from like some feudal analyte past. This, like, I think society. it is. I think it is. I mean, and, yeah. and I mean, that's what it sounds like anyway. So, but it's just interesting that that has like carried on through like presumably their whatever version of the industrial ages to like the space age. Yeah. Although we don't actually know that they went through all those ages in the same order that we did. Well, we know we did it slower. They did it slower. Yeah. But X talks about how we're so backwards. So yeah, we don't even have customs for, uh, what do we do if our brother's killed? I mean, we do, I guess. Yeah. Well, we don't have morning rituals. I mean, we kind of do. All right. Okay. (laughs) You don't have to alienate the literal aliens. They're just like you and me. Um, One thing I was thinking about is the word avenge. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like often people die in the Animorphs, but I feel like sometimes the words like kill or murder is used. Like, Visser 3 murdered Alfanger, Mm -hmm. killed Alfanger. He didn't like, uh, Elfanger didn't like, sometimes Elfanger fell in battle, Mm -hmm. you know, something Mm -hmm. like that. So here I think Axe is wanting to avenge Elfanger, but because Visser 3 killed Elfanger. Does it make sense? Yeah, it's more active to say, oh, Visser 3 killed him. That's that's killing. That's that's murdering. I just want to avenge. I'm not going to kill anybody. Yeah. Yeah, and later in the book, um, Tobias and Axe are talking, and then Tobias is like, oh, you're going to assassinate Visser 3. Isn't that cold-blooded or something? And then Axe is like, well, assassinate? What are you talking about? I'm That kind of thing. So Yeah, right. I forgot about that. Yeah. So, so this sort of difference in language is interesting. Because also later in this page, he's like, someday I would have to kill Visser 3. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of... To me, that's like highlighting how, you know, Axe and Mr. 3 are 
not so dissimilar after all. Well, and I think that over the course of this internal monologue that he's having, he's coming to terms with what he's going to have Mm -hmm, to do. mm -hmm. Like, he's thinking to himself in the abstract sense, like, okay, he killed my brother. There's this ritual. I have to avenge my brother's death. Oh, but then what does that actually mean is that I have I have to kill somebody. I have to kill Viscer 3. Yeah. Arguably the scariest foe to Andalites at, yeah. at present. Do you have anything else you want to say about the passage before we move to the spoiler zone? It's interesting that there is so much emphasis on language given that this is in English. Yeah. And he doesn't speak English as his first language. Well, you know, I mean, I do what I can. Maybe, although maybe, like, it could be one of those things where, you know, as it's translating to thoughts in his brain, Mm -hmm. it's translating to things that are, like, even more different from each other than avenge and kill are for us. Yeah. Anyway. No, I don't have anything else to say. Okay. Did you have any other thoughts that you wanted to add? Uh, No, not about this passage in the context of the series so far. Okay, then I think it might be time to wrap up this section and... Go to the spoiler zone. So this concludes the spoiler-free section of our show. Thank you for listening and join us next time as we read Animorphs book number nine, The Secret. And in our professional opinion, this is a must-read book. All right. So that's a wrap for part A. That's a wrap for the A side. Get out of here if you haven't read. Yeah, please leave. There's important stuff that we will spoil at the very beginning of the next segment. All right. Just leave.